God, I pray over us, your people, as we prepare to open your word and, and to hear your whisper to our hearts and our minds, God, that, that you will search our hearts, that we would ask, what really are we doing here? Why have you placed us on this earth at this time in history? What is it that you want to speak to us? What is it that you want to do through us? God, because we know that with you, hope is never lost. But that you have purposes for us. You have things you are doing among us. And I praise you and thank you for the bright future that that we have because of Jesus. And so we set our affection on you. We set our worship on you. And we pray that you open our our eyes to see you, our ears to hear your voice. That you may lead us in whatever way you choose. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you, JJ. And whether you are in person or joining us online, I'm so glad uh, you've chosen to tune in with us today. Um, At the beginning of the new year, we started a message series called Getting Back to the Why. After a year like 2020, we wanted to start off 2021 and all the noise and all the hurry and everything saying, okay, what is God's purpose for our lives individually, for his church, for our work, etc.? Now, we are going to continue this series, but we're going to continue it next week. Next week, we're going to start by talking about what is God's big why behind our families, our parenting. I'm really looking forward to it. But today, I, just, I need to share something that's been... I've been carrying for a while that I feel like we just need to talk together as a church because we've gone through a whole lot, tried to process a whole lot over the past several months and year. After a dizzying, draining year like we've had, equipped with a wildfire of an election, on top of that trying to figure out what this virus is and grieve all that it stole from us, my question is where do we go from here? Where do we go as the church of Jesus from here? Now granted, on top of everything else that's going on, most of us in America, we're not getting our understanding of, a reality, of reality from humble discussion with each other. Or from sources that lay out the facts for us, give us several plausible interpretations of the facts and helps us think through it. If you, if you find those, please let me know, Okay. But most sources, at least that I've come across on, it doesn't matter what side of perspective it is, the sources start with the interpretation, and then they tell you the facts, interweaving it with a narrative that is ultimately designed to stoke fear and anger. The goal, that we react, that we join a cause, not that we think, and not that we seek to respond prayerfully into all that is going on. And so it's whether it's, a, it's, it's an article or, or, or a news story on the virus, the election, or free Britney Spears, right? Like everything has one side or the other. And it's not inviting you to think, but react. It's sensational, meant to move us. But in light of all the noise, it's easy to lose track of God's truth. And all the outrage, we begin to forget what Christ's love looks like. In the midst of the despair, we forget about God's power and eternal hope. But when we lose track of truth, 
God's love and his hope, we, the whole purpose of why we're here becomes somewhat fuzzy. The whole purpose of his church becomes unclear. Because when we lose track of God's truth, we end up trading his gospel message and his word in order to adopt an ideology of some human system, or we settle for tolerance and just getting along. When we lose track of God's Christ's love for us, when that's no longer enough, we may come to church, but we come to church side-eyeing each other through that political or cultural lens we have. Like, I wonder what, which side they belong to. Am I speaking to real people? Maybe it's just me. But when we lose track of God's hope, His power, when we're no longer changed by His power, what do we have to offer the world? And so this is why I'm asking today, why are we here? Where are we going? As a pastor, I believe that the church in America is at a mo moment of reckoning. Where we have to ask ourselves, where are we going from here? And as a pastor, my primary concern right now, believe it or not, is not how secular the culture is becoming. While it's true that a quarter of our nation does not affiliate with any religion at all. The Bible tells us that this is going to be a reality. But God says that is the role of the church is that we learn to be a light in the midst of it. But my primary concern is also not what is going on in Washington, D.C. While the laws are important because they impact real people and our neighbors, sometimes for generations. I know that oftentimes politics flow downstream from what's already happening within the culture at large. Therefore, my primary concern as a pastor right now is as the church, do we know who we are and why we're here? Do we know the mission that God has given us? What are we doing here? Call me crazy. But I still believe that when a community, a local community of Christ followers are surrendered and set ablaze by His Spirit, that God can work through us to still change our region, to change our nation, to even change our world. And if you think that's idealistic or just dreamer, that I get Kirk, you're young, you haven't seen how the world works yet. All I can say is, but at least I know who my God is. And so I want to look at that again. I want to go back to his word and say, who are we? Even championship teams have to go back to the basics sometimes, don't they? When the noise and distractions get loud. And to show you that what I'm about to say are not my words, but his. I want you to turn with me to the fifth book of the New Testament. The book of Acts, chapter 1, starting at verse 6. And as you're turning there, ironically, I read this week... Uh, there are some New Testament scholars reading what we're about to read and say that this is the inauguration of Jesus. For reasons I'll show you in just a moment. But it's right after Jesus has died, he has risen from the dead, he's appeared to his disciples 40 days. 40 days. And now they're all wondering, well, where do we go from here? 
And so Jesus is about to shift their expectations a bit and then lay out a mission for them so that they, as his apprentices, take on his role of world, becoming world changers. Acts 1, verse 6. Check it out with me. So when they, the disciples, followers of Jesus, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Will you pray after me and say, God, open my heart, open my mind, transform my life. Amen. So where do we go from here? That was the question of the disciples, and it's our question. And after such an exhausting year, After everything that's gone down and it's rapidly changing society still under the cloud of a pandemic. How do we as followers of Jesus move forward together? And again, while you may have heard this passage many times before, I want us to look at it again. What does Jesus say? Well, first... The church of Jesus moves forward in the transformative power of God's spirit, not based on human political power. All right, first century Israel was a tense political powder keg of an environment. We had the Romans ruling Israel at the time on one hand, and then you had this nationalistic Israelite zeal on the other. The Romans had power. Everybody wanted it. Any moment, anything could light it up. And all of a sudden, everything, just riots break out. And we know that's true because even in 66 AD, there is a revolt. And in 70 AD, the whole Jerusalem is completely destroyed by the Romans. Like, Like that's the tension that was going on in this moment. And most Israelites, though, when... Their hope, what they were looking for, was what the prophets had long told, that a Messiah was going to come. And their expectation of this Messiah is that he would come to light it up, up, up. Right? That he would come ultimately to tear apart all that Rome had built and rebuild the kingdom of God. And when the, the, the Jews and the Israelites and the disciples saw all the miracles that Jesus performed in his power, they were like, oh, ho, ho, yep. This is our revolutionary who's going to set up the throne and become the eternal Jewish king. Now, you and I can imagine, though, when, when, when Jesus ended up going to, and dying on a Roman cross, like, that was a little confusing. But then he rose from the dead. And, and he rose from the dead. Like That was all they needed to stir up that nationalistic zeal all over again. And so they come to Jesus and they ask, Jesus... Are you at this time going to restore the nation to Israel? And any of us in their sandals would have asked the exact same question. Because what changed things in their society? Political power. 
And that's what you needed. And so that's what they're asking from Jesus. Jesus, will you give us the power to ultimately change things? You've already defeated death. The next step is to call down a legion of angels, and it's going to be awesome. But Jesus, I, ima- I like to imagine Jesus' a little smirk on his face. Because he needs to redirect. And how does Jesus respond to them here? I want, you, I want us to pay attention to that. First, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for wanting political change. Notice that. He doesn't say they're wrong for wanting God to change things. And plus, he knows that there will come a day when God will establish his kingdom of peace from Jerusalem. It just wasn't going to be yet. And you ever had a situation where, like, as a parent, or maybe you remember as a kid, you're wanting something or the kid's wanting something, and you know as a parent that actually that's not the best thing for you right now, but you're not going to understand it yet? I imagine that's what Jesus is doing here. And he says, hey, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. There's some things you can know. Seek to know those. There's some things that are not yours to know yet. you got to rest content in that. But let me tell you what you can know. And he says, instead of political power over nation, Jesus says, I have an even greater power for you. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit that is going to come upon you and work within you. And you see right here in this passage, Luke, the author, is clearly setting up a contrast between political power and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we see is that political power may be able to change laws and taxes, but only the power of God can transform a human heart. The political power can alter some human behavior, but when God's love is poured out onto our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that he begins to alter what we love. Our heart level allegiance, our identity. Political power can form a government, but the Holy Spirit can form a community called his church who are becoming holy like him. Political power is temporary. Holy Spirit power is forever. Political power may last for a few hundred years at best. I think Rome was maybe around a thousand years. But we see that the Holy Spirit power has set up a church that has endured for over 2,000 years across nations and continents through war and uproar. That's the power of the Spirit. That's the power of the Spirit. So what we see is that when Jesus withholds political power from his disciples in this moment, he's not shortchanging his church at all. For he's giving them the only power that can transform a life. So unlike the governments of this world, we see that God's kingdom is very different. While the governments of this world set up rule over a territory or over a people group, God's kingdom comes not for a territory, but for the human heart. And that God begins, his rule begins over each of our hearts individually and over his people, the church. And how does he ultimately gain the allegiance of our hearts? Not through manipulative propaganda, political campaigns, or through war. No, it comes through the servant, sacrificial love of Jesus. It is the way of the cross. 
That's where God's true power comes from. Because that's exactly how His Spirit operates. It operates through servant love. A love so mighty and so strong that it would go to the grave to become a ransom for our sin. You guys are missing a shouting moment. That was it. That was it. But see, when God's people place our highest hope, highest hope in human power, political, cultural, or otherwise, we may be fighting for change, but we're no longer living as his church. What kind of change are we really looking for? What kind of change are we ultimately seeking? In our culture right now, as those who follow Christ, as, as, as religion in general is on the decline, what takes its place? The highest human power there is. Which means that we in our day and age, that the worship of politics is on the rise. There's a professor named Peter Kreft who said it like this. He says, when, if religion dies, politics takes its place. And we as God's people, we see that happening all around us and we feel the gravity of that, don't we? We see the amount of energy that is being poured into the political side of life. And when I look across America and I see the amount of division that is happening within the church, I can't help but to ask, what power are we ultimately seeking? And when I look at this passage and I see what Jesus has laid out for his church, it's like he has laid out for us a bountiful feast. And we're like, hey, I, I got this little can of tuna fish over here. I'm good. He says, here's my glorious mission for you. And we're like, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to mainly like, focus on what I can control and what human beings can accomplish. But what God wants us to see is that there is something far more glorious, far more beautiful that he's called us to than just a political fight. During the week of prayer and fasting, one of the things that Shelby and I gave up was, was TV. We wanted to cut out a lot of the noise so that we could hear from God. And like good little Christians, we decided we're going to study a book of the Bible together. And why hold back? Let's study Revelation. So we shut off that TV. I opened my Bible. I sat there on the couch with, with, with Revelation 1. Shelby sat there with Revelation 1. I'm sitting there reading it, and I'm like a good Bible scholar. I'm like, okay, what are the themes? What, what, what are the things trying to say here? You know, what, what is, what's going on? And as I'm reading it, I'm, I'm getting one experience, mostly up here. I look over at Shelby, and Shelby's like, oh, this is so beautiful that Jesus is alive, and he's working in this world. I'm thinking, like, we're reading the same thing, right? But clearly she's getting something of a whole other level than I'm getting. And sometimes that's what I wonder as a church. If we're so focused on, on what we can accomplish on the human level, we're missing what only God by His Spirit can do. That she saw something I didn't see. And that's my prayer for all of us, is what kind of change do we want? And is our vision for what America could be, what this church can be, is it limited to what we can do? Or do we ultimately want to see change for something that only God can do by His power? What change do we want? 
But then Jesus says, okay, well, I'm going to give you the power of my spirit. I'm going to equip you with that. But for what? For what? If we know the church of Jesus moves forward by the power of his spirit, then what responsibility do we have? Point number two, the church of Jesus moves forward when we are witnesses of another way in the world. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. For what purpose, Jesus? To be witnesses on earth. Now, what is a witness exactly? Well, a witness, think about it, is an intermediary, right? They take a first-hand direct experience that they gain over here, and they communicate that to those who haven't had that experience over here. So think about a witness at a trial who takes their experience and shares it with the jury, or a witness of a crime scene takes their experience, shares it with the police. Right? But what we're talking about here, when we apply it to Acts 1.8, the witness Jesus is talking about is he's saying, you know the reality of who I am. You know my sacrificial love for you on the cross. You know the power of my spirit to make you like me, to transform a human life. Now don't hold that in. I need you to go share that, not only with Israel, but with the rest of the world. And the reason why the first century church began to change the world is because in a world where Roman military rule, propaganda, and control is what the people knew, all of a sudden they modeled the way of spirit power, truth, and love. So what does it look like to be a witness of our king and his way today? Think about that. Well, it's still the way of servant love. It's still the way of the cross. When others react and yell louder, we breathe and pray. When others insult us, we aren't offended. We forgive. We move on. When others tear us down, lie to us, or do whatever they can to win, we still work to build up with the truth. In love. That ultimately, even if a society is not willing to hear the truth in a moment, that we still model as a community an alternative way, a different kind of community, a way of operating differently based on who our God is. And while it is true that we are to carry His mission, to carry, to be witnesses of who He is in the rest of the world. It begins with how we witness to who he is with one another in the church. Do I have your permission to get really honest for a second? All right, a couple of you. That's enough for me. Many times over this last year, I've heard the phrase from both sides of the aisle, I just don't know how a Christian could think that way. That, that's just me? Okay. I, I, those couple times, I might have said it. <laughs> I might have said it myself. But to be fair, when we're isolated from one another in a pandemic, and most of the sources we're gaining for reality are sources that, that agree with our, our, our line of thinking for the most part, it's easy to come to the conclusion, well, the other side isn't just wrong, they're crazy. And I was talking about this dynamic with one of our elders, Dan Donahue, this past week, actually. 
And I said, you know, it's interesting how I watch what's happening on social media among Christians and, and all that's going on in, in the U.S. And he says, he, to, he told me, he said, yeah, we end up divided without ever having a conversation with each other. You know, among Jesus' own disciple group was a man named Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Now, in the first century, zealots and tax collectors, completely opposite sides of the political spectrum. Zealots wanted to overthrow Rome with violence. Tax collectors wanted to up to Rome and gain favor. Right? So you can imagine when each of these guys come and join Jesus' apprentice group here, I think things are a little bit heated. I think they were side-eyeing each other for a while, dropping a little comment here or there to each other. What's interesting to me is that both of these men meet Jesus. Both of these men are changed forever by him. Both of them are become brothers in Christ. And both of them become witnesses of the way of his kingdom. So is it possible to unite around Jesus as his church? <laughs> yeah. And if we're going to move forward as a church, it's vital that we learn as a spiritual family how to humbly come before his word together, ask for the guidance of his spirit together, and have the kind of conversations around the issues and problems most important to us. I know sometimes our, our temptation is to come into church community and just avoid all potentially awkward subjects. And right, like sometimes... Well, that's okay to do, right? Like it, it, we need to know when we discern when we have favor to have these conversations and when we don't. But we all should understand that each of us come to the Word of God with certain assumptions, values, with certain mindsets that have been shaped by our upbringing and that is shaped by our culture. But all of us can move forward together when we learn to come together across generations, perspectives, backgrounds, willing to reach out to each other, not to win an argument, not to tell you how right I am, not to ultimately push you down and, show and humiliate you, but ultimately to understand you. I don't have to agree with you to understand you. I don't have to agree with you to come and ask questions and say, well, why do you see things the way that you do? Because the goal is not that we would become like each other. The goal is that we would become like Christ. Showing the way of servant love. Now, isn't that the kind of church that you want to be a part of? The kind of church that honors each other, that speaks well of each other, in our faces, behind our backs, and online. The kind of church that actually wants to grow together. That is a counter. I mean, if there's anything that's more revolutionary or, or countercultural in today's age, is that not it? And I believe that's exactly what God is building here. And I know that many of you want to see him build that here. And I know that because I've seen the ways that I, I've heard some of you really wrestle with this. Not just step away like I'm right, but actually say, but help me understand. And so my question to all of us is, is there someone that you can reach out to? Is there someone, a name of somebody with a differing opinion than you, who follows Christ, who that you can say, hey, help me understand 
Like why you think the way you do. Maybe God will grow all of us through that. But as we all wrestle in the meantime with all the noise, with all the voices that are going on, where do we look for hope? As we look at the future of this country and all that's coming, I'm not sure all that's coming, but where do we go for assurance in the midst of it? Final point. The church of Jesus moves forward as we set our hope not in human elections, but in the returning king and his everlasting kingdom. After commissioning the church to be his witnesses by his spirit in their nation and across the world, Jesus, it says, was lifted up before their sight. And what's really cool about the scene is a New Testament scholar named John Stott who says that this scene has, all, has several characteristics of a first century royal inauguration ceremony. That as he commissions them, as he's exalted before them, as the angels come out, it carries the qualities of being an inauguration. How cool is that? And, and the Apostle Paul picks up on the same thing later on. He said, this is, this is, this is amazing to me. He said, the same God who descended down into death has now ascended high above heaven. That all things might be filled in him. Or as Paul said in Ephesians 1, that Christ who has risen from the dead is now seated at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority. Or as John the Revelator put it, here he is, Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn among the dead, the ruler of some kings on earth. No, all kings on earth. He is the mighty lion, but he's also the sacrificial lamb who gave his blood as a ransom for a people for God, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now moving out to every tribe, language, tongue, and nation to make a kingdom and priest to our God who will one day reign on earth when his kingdom is fully established. That is our God. That is our king. That is the reigning king who has no term limits. He, he answers to no man. But he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he is the one we place our hope in. Listen, I do not know what the future holds for our nation. I got my own thoughts, but that's a whole other sermon. You don't probably even know, don't even want to hear. But I don't know what the future holds for this nation. But I'll tell you one thing. My hope is not in the current administration in Washington, D.C., my hope, isn't, my hope is set on the future, but not for the future four years from now, either. We are future-oriented people, looking to our coming King. We do not know when He will return. Therefore, we should always be ready, going about His business as His church, by His Spirit, sharing His gospel, living His kingdom way, servant love, and wherever He has placed us, whatever spheres that He wants us. Why? Because there is no life-changing power, all-encompassing purpose, or everlasting hope like that of King Jesus. So we move forward together around Him alone. And once we think that we need something else other than Jesus to be the source of our unity, then we have become a cheaper version of what God has for us. He is enough. So where do we go from here? And really, that's up to us. What do we want to see change? What kind of change are we going to believe God for? 
But he realized that he doesn't just want to use a figurehead or another leader. He wants to use you. That he calls you and me both witnesses of him. There is no life-changing power, all-encompassing purpose, or everlasting hope like that of King Jesus. And we move forward around him alone. Can you say amen? Pray with me. Father, as I speak this message, I realize I need faith to believe that you, you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you can do and that you actually cherish us enough and love us enough that you would desire to do that through us. God, forgive me for the amount of ways that I trust in my own human power, for the ways that I often believe you for things that I can actually do, but I have a hard time believing you for anything more. God, forgive me when I place my trust in anything more than you. And I pray that as your church, that each of us will wrestle individually with who are you? Who have you called us to be? Perhaps, God, this is the time. And this is, these are the circumstances that you are using to wake up your church here and across America. And I pray that is true. I pray that you will bring about a revival in our nation, in our region, unlike anything ever seen. Not because, and, and that we, it will be bigger than anything we can contain. But it's something that's simply carried and brought about by you. But begin in our hearts, begin in my heart, and move through us. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said. it.